please take your seat. Hey, it's great to be with you again tonight. And I love being at this church. Uh, I consider this family. We've had a wonderful ongoing relationship with Paul and Jill Bennett and, and um, great friends now with Carl and Ange Crocker and uh, just love being here. So thank you for having me along. You know, this morning uh, I was talking about our mission as churches and I want to continue that theme and bring a few elements in that I uh, mentioned uh, this morning just for those who weren't here. But, you know, something happened to me that I often think back on when I was six years old. My mother had uh, a baby, so uh, I already had a little brother, but when I was six, I had a little baby sister. And uh, my mum went to the maternity hospital in Rangiora, and I loved the visits up to the maternity hospital to see this beautiful little baby. And one day my dad said to me, "Uh, I'm going to pick you up at the end of school, so I'll come and park the car outside the school. I want you to come straight out. I don't want you to mess around. I don't want you to, you know... Play with your friends, just come straight out and I'll be there. I'll take you up to the hospital to see your little sister. So I'm not quite sure what happened, but I came out and uh, the kid said, oh, your dad was here, um, but he's gone. I thought, oh my goodness, he'll be so cross. And uh, I thought to myself, oh dear, I won't go home. He will have gone up to the hospital, I thought, as a six-year-old. I'll just head straight for the hospital. (laughs) So um, I started walking. The hospital was a few miles away. And I started there with my little school bag on, and I started walking, and the kids used to call me Mac in those days, and uh, the kids used to, would call out, Mac, your dad's looking for you. And I said, thanks, I know that, and I sort of headed off, and I thought, well, I'm not going to go the no- way I would normally go back home. I'm going to cut across the fields and the paddocks, and I'm going to go this other way, a quick way to get to the hospital. As I went, there were kids calling out, hey, Mac, your dad's looking for you. I said, thanks very much, yeah, I know that. And, and everywhere I went, the kids were calling out to me, hey, do you realise your dad's looking for you? I said, yeah, thanks very much. I, I know that. I'm heading up to where he's going, to the hospital. Everywhere I went, I remember these kids calling out, running after me. Hey, Mac, your dad's looking for you. So anyway, I walked, I went away from all the different kids, got um, you know, out through the paddocks and finally onto the main road, got up to the hospital, and went in to see my mum, and she said, David, your dad's looking for you. And I said, I know, I must have missed him. And, and uh, so I walked straight up and she said, oh, you should have gone home. You should have gone the normal way. Well, I somehow missed my dad, but I got there and uh, in the end, my dad found me and, and, and everything worked out okay. But you know, it was an interesting thing. I often look back at that, all those kids yelling out, hey, Mac, your dad's looking for you. God has given me a real heart for people who are lost. And one of the big messages I love to give people is, you know what? Your dad's looking for you. You've got a heavenly dad that knows about you. He knows your name. You may not feel like you're lost, but to him you're lost. He's looking for you. He's wanting to build relationship with you. I had this incredible experience when I was about 20 years old. I was sitting in the back of a little church and Um, I really opened my heart to Jesus and I was blasted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, uh, God seemed to appear to me. I just had this amazing physical thing that happened to me where I felt the incredible power of God's love and His acceptance. It felt like scales fell from my eyes. And I felt as though God the Father was close to me. And He said to me, David, I've been looking for you. And I remembered back to that time when people said, your dad's looking for you. I didn't realize that I was lost. But to my heavenly dad, I was lost. 
And I remember getting saved. I remember getting filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember going into my workplace, which was a radio station, and I looked around at all the people there who were lost. I'd never, ever realized they were lost before. But I remember looking at them and thinking, your dad's looking for you. You're precious to your dad. And looking at the people involved in drugs and alcohol and sleeping around and and life's just an incredible mess. And thinking to to myself, if you could meet the heavenly father that I've met, your life would change forever. Friends, I want to tell you, that is actually the heart of the gospel. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories back to back. Story of the lost sheep, story of the lost coin, the story of the lost son. It's the only place in the Bible where Jesus tells three stories to illustrate the same point. And the point is this, you'll know the story, so I won't go through them. Something very valuable is missing. A search goes on to find that important thing, and when it is found, there's a huge celebration. And we see in the third story what it's really about, that there's a dad that loses a son. The son goes into incredible rebellion. Finally, he repents. He comes home. The dad forgives him. He welcomes him. And there's a big party that is put on. And Jesus really is indicating to us that we are the lost children, that there is this eternal search that goes on. There is a dad that's looking for us that we are lost. And the Bible says, God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came looking for lost people. He came with a message, your dad is looking for you. Luke 19 verse 10 is where Jesus actually tells us what his mission statement was. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Jesus was on a search and rescue mission. He was looking for people who were lost and hurting and broken and sick, people who were refugees, people who were poor. And so when Jesus came, he rescued people, and then he said to them, I want you to come and help me to rescue more lost people. You remember he saw the fishermen at the boat And he said, leave your boats, leave your business, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What he was saying there is, I'm going to change the whole perspective on life that you have. Instead of doing your business to be able to make money and to grow a little kingdom for yourself, your purpose in life is to come and look for people who are lost, to seek and save lost people. Friends, this is the mission of the church. Jesus was the one that started the church. And all the churches is a team of people who have been lost and then found, who come together to form a team to go out and look for more lost people. That's our mission. But friends, you could go to many churches and never realize that that is the reason that they exist. You go to many churches and there are no lost people that come to those churches decade after decade. And I'm not saying this to be mean to churches. I'm here tonight to remind us what our call is. We are primarily a search and rescue mission. We are a team of people that are going looking for people who are lost. On the news recently, I saw this satellite picture that came up and it shows North Korea. You'll see there on the screen, up the top is China from from the satellite. Down below is South Korea, 
all lit up in lights. You see North Korea, there's virtually no lights there at all. It is completely in darkness, or almost completely in darkness, because they are so poor. When I saw that picture, I thought to myself, that's spiritually what they're like as well, because it is the most oppressive nation on earth as far as Christians are concerned. That is what it looks like spiritually. But I felt as though the Holy Spirit said to me recently, when I see Christchurch, I see Christchurch exactly the same. And for a moment, I felt slightly offended. I thought, Lord, we're nothing like North Korea. But then God said to me, you know, there are 400,000 people who live in Christchurch. Very generous estimates are that 14% are Christian. That's 56,000. That's very generous. That means that 344,000 people in Christchurch are lost. We're a dark city, friends. We're a dark city. That means that the enemy has his hand over the city. There is more of the enemy in the city than there is of the presence of God. And so what do we do about it? Well, we can pray and we can say, God, bring revival, and that's a good prayer to pray. But I'll tell you what, when you pray to God and say, Lord, bring revival, he actually looks at us and he says, no, you bring revival. When we say, Lord, bring your light, he says, no, you bring the light. Lord, convert people, he says, no, you convert people. Because that is the mission of the church. I said this morning that in the past I've had this vision about uh, the refugees we often see on television from the Middle East who are desperately trying to escape the poverty and the repression and the, the war that's going on. And all these people, thousands of people drown and there are boats that go out. And I felt a couple of years ago as though the Holy Spirit said to me, this is the mission of the church, to send out rescue boats to rescue lost people, to rescue drowning people. I recently saw the movie Dunkirk and uh, how many people have seen Dunkirk? It's a fantastic movie. It's uh, the true story of what happened at Dunkirk during the war where the Allied soldiers actually got stuck in France and Dunkirk and they didn't have the, the, the manpower, the army, to be able to come and rescue them. So Winston Churchill's brainy idea was get ordinary folks in their little runabout boats, their little dinghies and their yachts and everything, just get a thousands of ordinary people to jump in their boats and go over and rescue people. And they did. They went over unarmed. They didn't have any guns or anything on board. They just went over on their little pleasure cruises and they picked up soldiers and brought back thousands and thousands of people. It was ordinary people going out to rescue the people who needed help. Friends, this is an example of, of what it is to be church to go out and rescue people who are lost. Friends, you have done an amazing job in this area of um, uh, Rickerton area. You've done an amazing job in Christchurch. You're a wonderful, big, strong church, one of the largest, biggest churches around. But I want to say I'm so thrilled to hear that your vision isn't just to stay the way you are because there are still 344,000 people who are lost. There are 344,000 people who are still drowning in the sea. And you could sit back and say, well, haven't we got a good building and haven't we got good programs? And yes, you have, but please don't stop. And so when I see things like this multiply, it shows me that your leadership team says, you know what? The job is not finished. There's a lot more to do. 
We can't just sort of sit back and say, aren't we blessed? We've got a great building. We've got some great programs. Because you're not focused on what you've got. You're focused on the task ahead. And that's exactly where the Holy Spirit's heart is as well. He focuses on those who are lost. And so I'm thrilled to know that you are multiplying, that you have Life Church Selwyn coming up with Julia McCarthy and the team. I'm thrilled to know that you are taking up an offering next week, your Thanksgiving faith offering, where you're saying to everybody, let's expand what we do. Let's give money to South Sudan and Ethiopia and Thailand and the Filipino community locally and the La Vida Youth Trust and 24-7 Youth and all the community ministries. I know there's an enormous amount more that you do. But this is just taking the gospel seriously. This is saying, yes, well, yes, we do a great job with 24-7, but we're only doing this much. Let's do more. Let's take on more youth workers and let's, let's let's have more of an impact than what we're having. Friends, the danger that churches make is where they stand still and they say, well, aren't we doing a good job? Haven't we got this wonderful history? And they stay stuck. But your leadership team has vision for the future. And I want to congratulate you as a church because it is always uncomfortable when you start saying, we're going to expand and we're going to plant churches and we're going to send out missionaries. It's always uncomfortable. One of the reasons it's uncomfortable is because you start sending people out. Julia, who is such an amazing person, where is she? There she is. She's going to go out and I understand at least 30 people are going with her. And someone said to me this morning, some of our best people who are going. What sort of crazy church sends its best people? It's a church that reads their Bibles and a church that has vision and a church that cares about lost people that you're not reaching. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's going to be difficult because some of your best people are going to go and you think, oh my goodness, there's nobody to do this thing here and there's not somebody to do that thing there. And so people are going to have to step up and take those positions. But I'll tell you what's going to happen. That church will boom, and this church will boom as well. Because in the places where people go, there will be others that will come and take their place. People will step up and start doing jobs that they hadn't done before. And it will be painful, and it will be uncomfortable, but you do it because you care about lost people. And there'll be new people that will start to come in. And you look around, you think, gee, I don't know those people there. And that family over there, I've never seen them before. Oh my goodness, there's a whole bunch of people. Where have they come from? And it's going to feel uncomfortable and unfamiliar. But it takes people of courage, missional people, that will say, you know what? It's all worth it. Because the heart of Jesus is towards lost people. I want to tell you something else. One of the hardest things is it costs money. This isn't a bag full of money, by the way. But it costs money. And you know, one of the things that we as humans hate the most is being asked for money. What's it going to cost us? Hope you're not going to, hope you're not going to ask me for money. Don't you ask me for anything that, that's going to cost me anything. I hope there's not going to be a challenge here. We had a young man in our church a couple of years ago that when we were raising money for one of our buildings, he came up to me at the end and he said, I don't like it when you do giving talks. And I said, why not? He said, well, I agree that we need money to build buildings, but I think we should ask God for it and not ask the people for it. I said, okay, how does that work? He said, I don't know, but he said, you know, why don't we just pray that God provides it and that that it doesn't have to come out of anyone's pocket? I said, okay, just explain to me how that happens. And he said, well, I don't know. God just, I don't know, he just brings it. Okay, 
And I said to him, you know what? There has never been an occasion in history where God does anything where he just goes, kazap. Well, maybe there is, but I don't know of any. God always uses his people to be able to finance his mission. He uses people who have the same heart as him, people who cry for those who are lost, people who care about the fact that this city is in, in darkness, people who say, you know what, we're not just going to sit comfortably, we're not just going to allow people in this city to, to go to hell, we're going to send teams, we're going to send some of our best people out so that the gospel will be able to spread in this nation. You know, it's an incredible thing because at first we put up our defenses. I don't want to have to give anything to this. But when we learn the heart of God and when we learn about what he has done for us, many of us change our hearts and think, you know what? I do want to give my money towards this sort of thing because if it wasn't for the word of God, where would I be? Where would my family be? And I want to tell you something. I cannot think of a better thing to put finances towards than the kingdom of God. If you know of something that is going to change humanity, if you know of something that you can put your money towards that is can, can change a whole generation, that can change people's eternities, that can change the whole face of a city, if you know something that's more important than that, you put your money towards that. But as for me and my money, I know that there's nothing I would rather give towards in the kingdom of God. And you're getting that opportunity next week. And I said this morning that uh, the Apostle Paul, he talks about money being like seed. Here's a whole lot of kernels of corn. It's actually popping corn. I might go and have a wee feast afterwards. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul talks about giving as seeds. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for the Lord loves a person who gives cheerfully. And that's important, friends. If you can't give cheerfully, don't give at all. You may think to yourself, oh, there was a bumper sticker once that says something along the lines of... Um, God loves it when we give cheerfully, but he'll also accept money from a grouch. But that's actually not true. God does not accept money from a grouch. He accepts money from those who are joyful. And so if you don't want to give into the kingdom of God, don't give anything. I've said to our people often, we're not going to build anything in our church unless it's done with people who really have a heart for what God's wanting and they can give joyfully. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. You know, that's an important thing. Some people think that, well, it's actually a natural tendency of our hearts to think that when we give something, we're going to be without that amount. But you know, it's the one area of our lives that defeats all mathematical principles. The Bible tells us that when we give into the kingdom, God will make sure that we're provided for. I've got this little um, container here. This is a little pot plant holder. And this represents the kingdom. And what I want to say is that, you know, when you put your seed into the kingdom, something different happens to it than when you leave it in the world. 
you are putting your seed into eternity. It's an incredible thing that this little corn kernel gets placed in the ground and it comes up as a stalk of corn and usually will produce one or two of these corn cobs. And each of these corn cobs has roughly 800 kernels on it. Isn't it incredible? From that little corn kernel there, it will produce two of these with 800 kernels on it. And I worked it out on my little calculator today that if you took out every kernel from two corn cobs, so roughly 1,600 kernels, and you planted all of them and they all came up, that would be two and a half million stalks that come up. Isn't that incredible? All just from one little kernel. And Paul uses this illustration to say that's what it's like when you put something, even something small, into the kingdom. God makes it multiply. Now, I want you to hear something. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but a prosperity preacher would say, you put it in there and God will make you rich and wealthy. But you know, the Bible does not say that. What it actually says, and I'll read it in a few moments, it says, when you put things into the kingdom, there'll be so much expansion, you'll get back so much more, it will help you to be able to be more generous. So God's not saying you'll get an enormous amount more to keep. He's saying you'll have an enormous amount more to give away. Because the purpose is not to make us rich. The purpose is that the kingdom would be expanded. The other thing that Paul says is this, that when you get a corn cob, some of the kernels you can eat. I could eat the whole thing if I wanted to. But if I did that, if I ate every kernel and didn't leave anything there to plant, there would never be another crop. And so Paul says, and I'll read the verse in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10, for God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. So the seed and then there's bread. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. See, what he's saying there is that I can use some of this to make bread or to make food and I can use the rest of it to be able to plant. And every one of us has this choice to make. With all that God gives us, how much are we going to keep for ourselves and how much are we going to plant? And the Bible says to us that God has always given us enough for our own needs and there's always enough to be able to plant in the kingdom. Now my wife and I tithe, which means we give 10% of our gross income to the church. And that's just a standard thing. It's the first thing that goes out. But as well as that, we see that the Bible talks about giving money for seed. And this is what we're talking about tonight, where we're seeding into things for the future. And so, you know, it's an incredible thing. We give 10%, I've got 90% left. If I have another 10% say that I seed, I've still got 80% left. And if I decide that I'm going to save another 10%, I've still got 70%. What an incredibly generous God we've got. So I've got enough to be able to look after my needs, but I've got enough also to provide for my church family to grow. And I've got enough to be able to seed into the future. And if I give these seeds, I put them into the kingdom, and who knows what's going to happen. And the Bible says that the more I'm able to give, if I can by faith say, Lord, I can maybe just give a few more in faith, I'm going to believe and trust that you will Look after all my needs, but I'm putting these in because of your heart for lost people. 
You know, the, God, the Lord promises blessing when we do that. Today, you may have one of these little envelopes. And over this next week, you're going to be thinking, what can I invest in the kingdom? And so you're going to be thinking to yourself, well, how much of it am I going to eat? And how much is going into the kingdom? And only you can decide that. That's a thing that you decide between you and God. But can I challenge you? Would you do it prayerfully? And would you do it with eyes of faith? And would you realize that every seed that you have comes from the Father? It's all given to you, to, to you but from Him. And He says, I want you to live well and I want you to be able to have enough to eat and provide for your needs. I want you to, to have a good life. But I have given you enough to be generous. And friends, God is looking to make you more generous. And the last verse, and then I'm done, is this one here. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those in need, they will thank God. You know, the Bible is saying that as you give, God increases your capacity to be generous. That's why God pours money through us. He could just zap it out there if he wanted to, but he wants to teach you how to be generous. He provides for the mission, and at the same time, he grows your heart large so that you become strong in him, you become strong in your faith, and you develop a passion for those who are lost. I'm going to close here, but can I say I believe that God is going to do incredible things in this offering. I see you're looking for 320,000. I believe in my heart you're going to do better than that. So I'd love to be able to pray that together we would be able to see mighty things done in this city as you guys expand and multiply and say, we will not stay where we are. We're going to go into the city and we're going to say, hey, everybody, you've got a dad who's looking for you. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for this precious church. I thank you for their generosity. Thank you, Lord, that this, ha this is a church that has a, uh, a long tradition of doing big things in the kingdom, and we're standing in a building that, that represents that. Lord, this is a church that has been bold for you and has sent missionaries out throughout the world. But the current leadership team is saying, we're not just going to stop here. We're not going to rest on the wonderful foundation we've got. This is going to be the launching pad to do greater things in this generation and the next. Father, I pray that the seeds that are planted next Sunday will have repercussions in eternity, Lord, that hundreds of thousands of people will be saved, that this city will become a bright, shining light. And Lord, you will bring blessing to every person in this church and its leadership team in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.